I want to talk this morning about the difference a seed can make. I am really excited about this word. I've been stirred for about a month now on this, and I'm probably going to be doing some reading from my notes just because I want to make sure that I communicate everything that I feel um, needs to be communicated as opposed to just kind of impromptu preaching or teaching, which is pretty easy for me to do as well. Um, but this has been something that has just gripped me about a month ago. Um, I'll, I'll explain a little bit more as I unfold, but we were at this fifth floor worship time last month uh, with Jeremy and, and, and Natalie and some of our friends leading worship. There was a moment when Jeremy started singing about a seed buried in the ground, and I want to talk about that in a few minutes. But it's such a powerful thing, a seed, and we've been seeing that picture of what a seed can do. And so there's been a sort of theme, even in this house, about talking about the power of what a seed can do. And I want to get into that. And the reason here, if we look from Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God is a story of grace that carries what I have found to be an important principle that's not limited to covenant, it's not limited to testament, new or old. It's not limited to theology or even religion. Bear with me. It's not limited by generation, culture, nor blessing or curse. It's the principle of seed, time, and harvest. Seed, growth, and harvest. Maybe seed time and harvest, but seed, time, and harvest. That's really important. It, the first time we, we read about a seed in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, right there at the beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth, he creates the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the animals, the plants, everything. And he creates man. And this is amazing. The first commandment that he gives to man is this. And I'll start in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I could get into this. Male and female, he created them. This is just when he creates man. <laughs> he hasn't even taken the rib from Adam yet, but it says male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the first commandment that God, that the first um, blessing, direction that God gives humanity. He says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food so god does this amazing thing in the very beginning of creation he creates he is the uncreated creator but every everything that he creates then is a seed of the previous generation. 
fast forward all the way to the end of the New Testament. The Apostle Peter and John the Revelator say this in the final chapters of the New Testament. Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. John the Revelator says, No one is born of God, no one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Uh, wrestle with that for a minute. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So let's look even further back than cre the creation of man, okay? We're kind of, I'm showing you Genesis, I'm showing you the end of the New Testament, but let's even go further back from the creation of man. Genesis 1.1 in the word of God, it says, in the beginning, God created. He created, I just said it, he's the uncreated creator, ex nihilo, he created out of nothing. And everything that he created from this moment forward in the creation story, is a derivative of its former generation because of seed. The exception to this would be the angels. They don't procreate. Living, breathing organisms in the creation of God multiply by seed, time, and harvest. It's how he designed our world, his world. It's the rhythm he meant for life to move in. Seed growth, harvest, and then multiplication again, seed, time, and harvest. This, I, it's a kingdom principle. It supersedes, like I said, testament. It's not just a New Testament, Old Testament thing. It's not a covenant thing. It's not a Jewish thing. It is a, it is a kingdom, but biblical and our world principle. And today I want to talk to you about this very principle, the power of a seed, the difference a seed can make. This principle carries God's heart for the order of our lives and the order of creation. There's power in the knowledge of this process. Because my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So it's good for us to understand this idea of seed, time, and harvest, and how it also is a spiritual principle as well. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest, because you have ignored the law of God. I also will ignore your children. Because of a lack of knowledge? This is why teaching is so important. So passionate about teaching, passing something down to the next generation, passing something down to the next, passing the baton, so to say. Because my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They're destroyed. And it even says um, at the end of Hosea there, because you have ignored the law of your God, I also ignore your children. Ouch. So the difference a seed can make. It's a pretty neat picture, huh? Can I brag that I made it? 
Sometimes the field looks as it does on the left, and sometimes it looks like it does on the right. Well, let me tell you about this worship time I had last month with Natalie and Jeremy. We're on the um, fifth floor, and a prophetic song came out of Jeremy Horn. I was actually I was just ministering for a few moments on the power of having the seed of God in us, and how it causes us to change who we are, to be formed into His likeness. Just like a seed in the ground first starts by being changed by its surroundings, it's subject to the soil and the elements, but eventually it becomes the agent that changes its surroundings. I'll talk more about this soon. But Jeremy started singing, a seed buried in the ground changes its surroundings. It was a sweet, simple, just responsive moment for us in the room. It was just kind of a breath of fresh air. Like, yes, let's respond to what God's doing right now. A seed buried in the ground changes its surroundings. This is what, what I was talking about uh, when I was ministering that night. I was saying a seed is subject to its environment. It, it, it's subject to the soil and the elements and all the things that it needs to grow. But eventually it starts to be the change agent in the ground. Imagine a tree that grows out. Bring me down just a little bit, Benjamin, because I'm holding it pretty far away. But it starts to expand and change its environment. And so Jeremy starts singing, a seed buried in the ground changes its surroundings. We can even see from this picture that a seed buried in the ground on the left there's seed there, but you can't tell. But on the right, it, everything changes. And then he's saying this. A king buried in the ground changes his surroundings. And the whole room just went... It was like mind-blown, mic-drop moment. It was like, wow, it just exploded. And it was really, really powerful. And that moment just gripped me. And so for like the next several days and then on, obviously, for the last several weeks, I've been thinking about this idea of a seed in the ground and how a seed changes its surroundings. And I'm not, I'm, I really want to emphasize this. I'm not talking about, we're not going to take up an offering, okay? <laughs> Everyone take a big, deep breath and a sigh of relief. I'm not necessarily speaking to the seed that you sow in offering or in tithes or finances. I'm talking about the seed of the word of God in you. Like the scriptures talk about, you have been born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Because you have the seed of God in you, you should change the environment around you. Are you with me? Okay. Let me show you a couple more slides here. So we know in this house that Clay teaches that a seed breaks a cycle, right? Let's not be too graphic, but this is actually, this is right at 30 weeks. This is almost where Natalie and I are right now with baby number two. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Give her a hand, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> when a husband and a wife are joined together and a seed is planted and a, a, a child, a human is conceived it stops the cycle, and there's a growth process, a nine-month, full-term process that happens in order to see this child through. And we've seen this as well. 
right? I think we've seen it with text that says what a seed can do or the, the power of a seed. I really like this one. There wasn't room for a tree, so I planted a seed. <laughs> Pretty neat, huh? I like that so much. There wasn't room for a tree, so I planted a seed. And let the process take place. You might want a tree or a harvest, but when you plant a seed for it, you can't just turn around a week later and go, Where, where's my tree? Oh, screw this. This doesn't work. No, there's a process. And we're going to talk about the process today. The truth from this principle, both biblical and biological, scientific and philanthropic, is this. The seed in due time changes its surroundings. From a kingdom perspective, the seed of the word in you should change all of your surroundings. The seed of God's word, his logos word, this written word, the rhema word of God, the spoken word of God, the seed of God's words in you should change you. And we, the reality is that most of us want this and even expect this to be who we are. Oh, look at that. Vibrant, different shades and colors and beauty. This is, this is me. This is like what you envision when you sow seed for finances, right? You're looking for a harvest. This is what you envision when the word of God goes deep and takes root in you. But, or look at this one. I like this one. Ooh. Look at that beautiful crop just green and dynamic but the truth is sometimes it looks like this <laughs> or sometimes it looks like this <laughs> it gets worse Sometimes it looks like this. Y'all, this doesn't even look like a crop. This ground is not even ready to receive seed yet. Are you, are you following? Am I preaching yet? <laughs> I mean, at least this looks like a crop. This looks like crap. <laughs> I mean, at least this looks like, okay, there was something there. There's a season of dormant. It's just, but this doesn't even look like a crop. Actually, this is really interesting. I pulled this picture. The name of this picture, it was titled Dry Springs and Dead Orchard. <laughs> it's not even ready it's definitely not ready for a harvest. <laughs> it's not even ready for seed yet. How many of you felt like a dry spring or a dead orchard at one time? Maybe now. Hello. This is our life sometimes, though, when we're not even ready for seed. We need to ready our hearts for the seed. Otherwise, the seed can't take root. So I think I want to share this first point with you. 
Point number one. I'm going to share like three key points. I want to, this is point number one. Make yourselves ready for the seed. Open up to Joshua chapter one. I'm not even there. Can I go there? Just pretend I'm opening the pages of my Bible to Joshua 1. Really, I'm punching in Bible Gateway. Joshua chapter 1. Let's set the scene here a little bit. Moses is dead. We're going to read that in a moment. Joshua is the military leader who's going to take the children of Israel into the promised land. They had just wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and God promises them the land. I don't know how much of this I'm going to read. I think, let's just find out. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea, in the west, and no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors, swore to their ancestors to give them. That's good, isn't it? So you're, you're going to get all this land. He even told him where. He's, God said, I will give you this land, Right? But there's a little phrase in here that we are overlooking. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, the Israelites. Get ready. Those two words. God was going to give them the land. They had a promise that they were to have it and that it would be a land of milk and honey and it would be a land of abundance. But even God says to them, get ready. What are they supposed to get ready? I thought God was going to do it all. They were, I, I thought that they were going to, you know, the, the Jordan, they were going to walk through the Jordan River again, just like they walked through the Dead Sea. But God gives this command that says, get ready. I love some other translations say, ready yourself. Like, position yourself. Do everything that you can do in your own power to prepare yourself for what I am about to do. Sometimes we feel like we can't really prepare ourselves. We don't know. Like, it's just up to God. He promised it. Maybe we should just kick back and let it happen. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. God says, get ready. That's a word this morning for somebody. God is saying, get ready for what I'm about to do. Do everything that is in your power to do 
so that we can do this together. That's what God wants to do all through history, all through scriptures. He wants to do it with us, not for us. He wants to do it with us. God could have made a redemption story that didn't involve humanity and just provide an answer. But he did it with humanity. He caused his son to take on flesh. He partnered with humanity in order to see it through. You, I've, I've spoken a message about this in years past, about God partnering with humanity to see his will come to pass. He wants you to get ready, even though he's going to do it with you. He, he wants to do it for you. Are you guys with me on this? So get ready, prepare yourselves for seed to go into the ground. And so as, as, we, as we're looking at this picture of dry springs and dead orchard, this ground is not ready. This ground, let's see, this ground right here is ready. Y'all, even this ground is ready. It's just frozen. It's, just, it, it, it's not dead, though, but it's ready. And there's going to be some work that needs to go into getting this ready, right? There's going to be some tilling that needs to be done, some agricultural work that needs to be done. But this ground right here, this ground is not even ready. There's seed in that ground, but that ground still has to be prepared. It has to be tilled up. It has to be beaten and so, point number one, make yourselves ready like Joshua had to make himself ready to obtain the land that God had promised for him. I remember maybe 11 years ago, I was sitting with a guy that was mentoring me, and he told me about this trip to Israel that he took. And he said he was driving out in this flat, dry, desert place. And they got to this, um, well, first of all, the tour guide was saying something along the lines of, welcome to the land of promise. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. But it was just a dry, flat desert land. And they were just driving on their um, RV or, or whatever vehicle, you know, that they were taking. And he's like, this is weird. This is just, there's no vegetation. It's just desert. And then they get to this oasis, this little place where they've uh, apparently piped out some water to the land. And he at, there was people asking, like, if this is the land of promise, like, why does it look like this? It just looks dormant. But they got to this oasis where there was water um, being put into the ground. And the tour guide said something along these lines. This is the land of promise because the Israelites had to completely depend on God's provision because there's vegetation in the ground. There's just no water yet. And the oasis that they drove up to, because there was water being piped out there, stuff was growing. There was like palm trees out there. There was like a little pond area and there was vegetation and it was lush. But the reason that the rest of the desert place looked like that because there wasn't any rain out there. 
But because it was the land of promise, it was such rich soil. You couldn't tell it by looking at it. But as soon as rain fell or the ground was tilled and ready for harvest, that vegetation started to come in such richness and abundance. That's why it was called the land of promise. That blows my mind because I feel like just because you feel like a desert place doesn't mean that there's no vegetation there, that there's no seed there, that there's no potential there. We have to, like Isaiah, call for the, call for the rain to come, and the rain did come, right? We have to trust God that his season is the right season. We have to call for the rain, and we have to ready ourselves for a harvest. A lot of times we look like we're not ready for a harvest. Get ready for a harvest. Ready yourself. Press into God. Ask God, what's missing? What's missing from my life? Why, why, why am I not producing fruit yet? What do I need to till up? How do I need to ready myself for the seed of the word to go deep? The rhema word of God can go deep in you, but if the soil is not ready, it will not produce what it's supposed to produce. Ouch. That hurts a little bit. Maybe I should say it again so it can hurt a little more. If, the, if God speaks a word to you, you receive a prophetic word, the rhema word of God can go into you but not produce fruit because your ground was not ready to see that come to pass. That's called working the word. Figuring out what, how you need to posture yourself, position yourself, move yourself in order to see that thing come to pass. Let me read some more notes here. In a crop, when the seed gets put into the ground, the land looks a certain way. It looks barren, maybe looks unfruitful, maybe is unfruitful. But upon harvest time, what once was seed in the ground now causes the landscape to change entirely. Now there's fruit, now there's vibrant and visual representation of what that seed has done. The seed in you should do the same thing. There should be a vibrant, visual, outward representation of what God has done in your life. Whether that's salvation, whether that's a sanctification process, whether that's a prophetic word, there should be a representation of that seed in due time. Sometimes it takes a while for a seed to come to pass. Think about the different crops. Different seeds will have different types of harvest. I'm gearing up for point number two, okay? Point number two is this. Allow the word of God, the seed of God, to grow as it will grow, not how you want it to grow. Allow the seed of the word of God to grow as it's intended to grow, not how you want it to grow. Different seeds will have different types of harvest. There will be seeds of the word of God or promises that may only last for a season for harvest. But there are other seeds, more significant promises, that will cause lifelong transition and constant change and formation in the environment. Think of a crop of corn or soy or rice. 
It's planted in the spring. It's harvested in the fall. But a crop of oak trees or evergreens is more and more has a longer progression of growth. Are you seeing what I'm saying? (laughs) It has to sustain through years and decades. Both crops are significant equally, right? I mean, if you're a if you're a corn crop agriculture guy, it, it doesn't make it less important that you have a crop that you have to grow every year or every spring you have to invest in it, and every fall you have to harvest it. And if you're a guy that grows evergreen trees, they, they're just different types of harvest. They're different types of plants. They grow at different rates. Both crops significant, but just different There will be times where the seed of a word from heaven gets put into you and it will joyfully and bountifully and abundantly produce something in you very quickly. That's not a bad thing. That can be a good thing. It may need to happen again and again and again. But there are other seeds of the word of God in you and promises that take seasons of growth, maturation to come to pass. And we live in a microwave society. We want it quick. The bigger seed I sow, the quicker it'll come back to me. That's not true. Because it's about obedience. It's not about a system. It's about what seed is this about? Right? What, what seed is God putting in you? And, and how can you discern or have some knowledge behind what's, what the process is there? Maybe instead of rice, God wants to put in you a sequoia. And you want something to turn around in a few months, but God's wanting something to turn around in decades. He wants something to grow steady, strong, tall, anchored. And I think a lot of times we don't like the patience process of the trees. I grew grew up in Wisconsin. I would go work. um, I'd split wood. When I was a teenager, we'd go and split it on a hydraulic splitter and stack it up. And but he got the wood from uh, the land that he owned. He would he literally grew trees, and he would grow different different types of trees. And sometimes they'd be ready to come down. You had to cut them down in the right in the right time. That was a harvest. That was there was a time that went by that it was right to cut that tree down. If you waited too long, the wood wasn't any good. If you cut it down too soon, then you wouldn't have the kind of harvest that you would need. You might have a smaller uh, wood pile, so to say, than if you just let it mature and go. And he would just drive for miles into his land and mark the trees that were ready, right, for timber. Or for 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 us, it was just for consumer um, firewood. But think about what kind of seed you're growing. What kind of what kind of uh, fruit is the word of God producing in you. Sometimes it needs to be trimmed back. It needs to be cared for. It needs to be tended to. But I share that story with you and some of these points about the different kinds of harvest that there are, the different kinds of seeds that there are, because I'm returning to point number two. Allow the word of God, the seed of the word, to grow in you as it's intended to grow, not as you want it to grow. Be careful about helping God too much. 
We try to help God, don't we? We're like, God, come on, this thing needs to come out. Dutch Sheets tells this amazing story about, um, I don't know if it's bamboo or a specific type of plant that can be in the ground for like season after season after season after season after season after season after season and you're like what what where's the growth here like i i'm trying to trying to build my bamboo uh privacy fence right in my yard or whatever like whatever you're building bamboo for that's what we do probably in memphis right grow a bunch of bamboo so you can have your own privacy <laughs> but you you natalie did that in in your at your house in jackson when you were growing up your dad put bamboo in the backyard. It takes a long time. I think it's bamboo that takes a long season after season after season. But something's happening under the soil. The root system is taking place. The roots are going deep. And then all of a sudden, it's going to shoot. And it starts to grow at an intense rate. But you've been waiting for it for a long time. I think it'll just grow and grow and grow. Like over the span of a year, it'll just shoot up. But you've been waiting for it and waiting for it. And sometimes the seed of the word is like that in us. Sometimes it's like, where is it? Where is it? Oh, there it is. Oh, wow. Oh, holy cow. This is, this is what you meant. This is what you wanted to happen. And it can happen exponentially very quickly. But sometimes it's like an oak tree or a sequoia, like I said. The seed goes in the ground, but you don't see anything for a long time. And then all of a sudden you see the, the beginnings of it and... Then it needs to mature. It needs more seasons. It needs years. It needs decades. What kind of seed has God put in us? Sometimes it's to reap a quick, bountiful harvest, but sometimes it's a steady, patient process. Are you guys with me? The last point I want to give you, and I haven't developed this one as much, but the seed of the word of God in you should cause you to grow and bear fruit that carries seed that sows and sows again. The point, I'm taking all the way back to the beginning when I was talking about the uncreated creator creates. And everything he creates will multiply by seed. The animals, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, even plants underwater, plants above water, they multiply by seed. And they're all a derivative of its former generation. Sometimes they change a little bit. They shift. But everything that God created, it was good because it would multiply. Even mankind I think one of the reasons why God, the first thing in creation that God said wasn't good was man. He's like, this is not going to work. It's not good for man to be alone. So he creates woman. Why? Because, first of all, because woman and man are the perfect representation of God, not just man alone. That's a lesson in and of itself. But that's because a perfect representation of God is something that carries seed that can produce and reproduce and generate multiple generations and continue the order in the cycle that God has put into the earth. Does this make sense? 
Therefore, the seed and the word of God in you should cause you to grow in such a way that you're throwing seed yourself. And that being the word of God for your children. Raise up a child in the way they should go. I call it throwing and sowing. All we do is just throw and sow seeds. We're, really, all we're doing in our lives is throw, sowing and throwing seeds anyways. What kind of seeds are we going to sow? What kind of seeds are we going to throw? Seeds of kindness, biblical, kingdom. Seeds of Christ. How are we living? Are we living in such a way that we're producing? Or are we living in such a way that we're reproducing? That's a good word. Are you living in such a way that you're able to produce but not reproduce? Or are you living in such a way that you are reproducing? That's what discipleship is all about. That's what the principles that God has given us are all about. God created Adam, and Adam was producing. What was he producing? He was cultivating the earth. He was doing what God called him to do. He was living in perfect worship and harmony with God. He was productive. But God doesn't just call us to be productive. He calls us to be reproductive. He calls us to disciple and make disciple makers. And so he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. Because God knew that he wasn't just wanting production. He was wanting reproduction, multiplication. Fill the earth. Multiply it. That was a blessing. It was the first blessing of God for humanity. So are we producing or are we are we reproducing or are we just producing? Producing just enough to get by but not enough to pass on to the next gen. Producing just enough to get by but not seeing that, that disciples are being made. And that the word of God can grow and mature to the point of multiplication. It's not just about addition. It's about multiplication. Eve and Adam wasn't about addition. It was about multiplication. I'm reluctant to share this last bit because it's not much on the seed, but I, I feel like I should share it. It's something that um, has also been stirring in me for a couple months now. If you look at the passage where Jesus sees the disciples fishing, and, they, and they're not catching anything, and he hollers at them, hey, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And then they're pulling in too much fish. They, they can't even, they have to ask for help. They can't even pull it all in. I asked this question to some leaders recently. I said, that story that we all have heard and read, maybe even taught from, do you think that Jesus, uh, in his divinity, or in, just in his supernatural, maybe, omniscience and all of his knowledge knew like he looked through the water and he knew that there was fish on the other side of the boat 
Like, do you, do you think that Jesus's knowledge caused him to go, hey, guys, throw the nets on the other side? Because I'm not sure if that entirely makes sense. What I, what I was sensing in my spirit as I was thinking about this passage reading, it could be that there weren't any fish. But at the words of Christ, at the word of God, there still might not be any fish. But at the obedient response to God's people, supernatural things begin to take place where they wouldn't otherwise naturally take place. And I started thinking, I was like, okay, that's, a, that's an out there thought. Like, okay, Jesus says there's fish and maybe there, maybe there was fish on the other side and he knew in his deity and his omniscience that there was. But then I remember that the scriptures tell us that he laid aside his divinity and took on humanity. And I'll also ask this to my students. Did, did Jesus heal people because he was God and he could? Or did he heal people because he was man in perfect submission to the Father and did what the Father wanted to do? And the answer is that he was a man because he laid aside his divinity and took on humanity. But because he lived in such obedience and submission to the Father, he only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying. He started to do things and laid hands on people because the Father was directing it. That's what the heart of the Father wanted was to heal people, and they were supernaturally, miraculously healed. And then he tells us, you can do these things, not because you're divine, not because you are God, but because you have communion with a God who gives you the authority to do so. Are you following me now? So then I start to think, okay, so Jesus, it probably not in his divinity and his omniscience told them to throw the nets on the other side of the boat, but in, in, by the words of Christ responded by man in obedience, supernatural things start to happen where they wouldn't otherwise naturally occur. And then I started to think about the fishes and the loaves. When Jesus says, let's feed all these people, right? Great idea. 5,000 people. That was definitely a miracle. Supernatural things started to happen. Multiplication. Because Jesus said, bring me some fishes and loaves. And at the obedience of the boy, and at the obedience of the disciples, maybe even in their lack of faith, going, okay... Oh, there's still more bread here. Oh, there's still more fish here. But at the obedience of their, their, because of their response to the words of Christ, supernatural things took place in an environment where it wouldn't naturally happen. Are you seeing this? And therefore, I'm challenged. Because... We hear prophetic words about oil being in the land or resources being in the land. And so I said to some leaders recently, I said, was there oil in the land all along and we just needed to know where to go to find it? Or were there resources in the land all along? Or could it be that God speaks and says there's resources in the land, and at the obedience of his people, supernatural things happen where otherwise natural things would not have originally occurred. And I've heard stories recently about 
resources and oil being in a land in a place where it has been tapped before and studied before and it wasn't in there. But at the words of God, at someone receiving a word of the Lord that there was resources in the land here, at their obedience, resources came into the land where there wasn't resources. Supernatural things started to happen where otherwise would not have happened. And it's because of the word of God being met with your obedience and your response of faith. And so now I'm seeing why I shared that. Because many times the word of God in you doesn't make sense. What he speaks to you, he says, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. Oh, come on, Jesus. We did, I mean, we've been throwing nets all afternoon. Like, we've been out here since 5 a.m. We've been throwing nets out all morning. Like, we, we, we kind of been doing this for a while, and you've been off, like, doing your rabbinical stuff, and you want to tell us to throw nets on the other side of the boat? Just, you know what? We're taking the day off. I, I can't handle this obnoxious talk, right? That could have been their response, right? Because <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like, they were the fishermen, and Jesus was back there probably just like... Kicked up, sitting, chilling on a rock or something, and watching them fish and goes, <laughs> hey, guys, try this. I can just see him laughing about it, too. Throw them on the other side. Oh, we, we just got done fishing from the other side like 30 minutes ago. I can just see him almost, not mocking, but bringing some humor to the table, and they do it, and they're like, whoa, my God, how did this happen? Oh, my God is right. Because at the words of God, things that wouldn't naturally occur begin to happen because God is the God of the supernatural. So I'll share one last testimony. You, many of you know the story about my guitar, uh, my acoustic guitar that I play. Well, before my wife and I went to Europe, the Lord told me to give my Martin, my $1,000 Martin guitar to somebody maybe six weeks before we went. I thought, uh, let's talk about this, God. This is not a great idea. Um, we're writing music with some songwriters, and we, we, are, we actually just got signed to a label recently, but we were, we had been working with this record label recently about even during that time when I got asked to give my guitar away. It was like, we're putting out music. We're going to Europe. This just doesn't make sense. Let's have a conversation about it. <laughs> And God's like, no, give your guitar to this person. I knew who he wanted me to give it to. And they've been going on for about a couple weeks now. And I, um, it was a process of me coming to faith, so to say. And I reached, uh, I, I reached a point where I was like, all right, God, you, like, you, you really want me to do this. All right, let's do it. And I joyfully was excited to do it. And this person was really blessed. And, and it was awesome. Actually, we got a word recently. Not us personally, but we heard a message recently about how God wants to bless people. And when we're not walking in uh, quick obedience to the Lord, we could be holding up somebody's blessing. And I heard that, and I was like, I need to give this guitar. Actually, Natalie said, you need to give that guitar to her. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, we're holding up her blessing, right? And so I give the guitar, I just gave her everything. I gave her my capos, I gave her the strap, I gave her the case. I just said, here, it's all yours, just take it. I'll, I'm on reset right now. So 
I've been playing this like $300 guitar that I keep in my office here just for practicing and it plugs in and it kind of stays in tune and and I've been okay with that and so we're our Europe trip is approaching and uh, I get a text from someone and they say hey there's a guitar at the music store with your name on it you ought to go and check it out and I was like that's all they said it's like okay that's kind of weird so I went to the music store I was like I was told that there's a guitar here with my name on it. <laughs> and they were like, what's your name? I said, my name is Matt Koss. And they were like, yeah, let me look in the back. They brought this guitar out, um, this guitar case. It said, yeah, there's literally a sticker on here that has your name on it. And they said, I don't know who you are, but this guitar is paid for in full, and it's yours. But wait, there's more. I opened it up. It's a $3,000 Martin guitar. Just given to me. That's awesome. But even more awesome is I got to take that guitar with me to Europe. And I got to testify about that. That's my harvest guitar. That's my testimony guitar. Because it took me a little bit of time to follow through on God. But I gave that guitar away. I said, all right, whatever you say, God. But God asked me to do something. He, he didn't ask me. I felt like he asked me, and then I gave my opinion, and then I realized he told me. <laughs> Maybe some of you are right there. Like, God, you feel like God's asked you to do something, and you're rationalizing right now with God. Really, God's told you to do something, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't follow logic. It's unreasonable. And it's like Jesus, when he tells the disciples to cast the nets on the other side, it's like, that doesn't make sense. We just need to move to another part of the lake. It's like when Jesus says, bring me the fishes and the loaves. It's like when Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's like, it doesn't make sense. But at the obedience of his word, he's starting to cause things to happen that wouldn't otherwise naturally take place. Does that make sense? It does, but it doesn't. <laughs> it's illogical. It's unreasonable. And God, more times than not, is drawing us and calling us to things that are illogical and unreasonable. And it's our response to those things that cause him to bring the supernatural into our lives.